So hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, uh, we welcome a very good friend of the show, Nag Vaidyanathan, Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at One Main Financial. At One Main, Nag is responsible for building the technology capabilities to support and drive business value for One Main's customers across channels, as well as ensuring collaborative and end user capabilities for its employees. His expertise includes application delivery and operations, global development, digital transformation, IT security, and data. Before joining One Main early last year, he worked as Dance Bank's Chief Information Officer, Digital Banking and Analytics, and as well as Chief Information Officer, Personal Banking. He also spent more than 10 years as a senior director on the legacy application, modernization, digital, and building global development teams at Allstate. Now graduated with a master's degree in technology and an MBA degree with a concentration in finance and strategy from DePaul University. He also is on the advisory board for the Indo-American Community Services and actively volunteers to help underprivileged children in India and serves as a global mentor. Nag, welcome to the show. Welcome, Thank Nag. you. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, Nag, if you don't mind, can you please share with our listeners and for those who are not aware, what is One Main Financial and, and who are its customers? Yeah, so One Main Financial is a consumer lending company. It serves customers that banks typically don't serve and the customer base are better off uh, going uh, than going to payday lenders. So it's typically the uh, FICO score that banks consider very risky. And uh, one main actually takes care of those employees uh, or those customers who are now becoming majority of our population now. We have about 1,500 branches in 44 states. So it's primarily a branch operating model. We also have five contact centers across the country. One main was founded in 1912. So it's over 100 years old and has gone through a series of mergers, acquisitions, devastations. And then finally, uh, in about 2017, we had Springleaf, which was part of AIG, and one main that was part of City. They integrated and uh, we were created as one main financial. So um, that's kind of a brief background. We have about 10,000 employees uh, who work at one main. So what would be the uh, just garden variety purpose that you know, some a customer would come to one main one main financial what is the the either personal or business need that they're looking to solve for yeah so the key reasons they come for uh to one main is very simple things like maybe it's a remodeling of the house they want to get a wedding done so these are not high end loans these are basically day to day uh day in the life loans that the customers seek from us and what one main does is based on their risk profile and their credit rating we offer different kinds of loans to them. So it could be a unsecured loan, which has a higher interest rate or a secured loan where you have a collateral seated with it. So it could be a car title. It could be a vehicle that um, right is not a car. So we have like direct auto lending, secured lending or unsecured lending as the, uh, I would say the three main categories of loans we give. Interesting. You also mentioned that the population overall is 
growing, right? Your your customer base yeah. yep. potentially for people who, you know, so they're not an 800 or above. Correct. Right? Correct. So maybe Correct. not even a 700. Correct. Gotcha. That's pretty interesting stuff. Um, and then, you know, obviously you mentioned some of the more predatory payday loan kind of approach. So this is still, because I've seen the office fronts, obviously, in, in various neighborhoods around Chicago. So it's very much a uh, an in-person three-dimensional delivery model. Is that uh, the focus going forward? Is that is that something that is core to how One Main Financial provides its services? Yeah. So uh, if you think about the population serve, they are not, um, I would say, high-end customers. They are not very financially savvy. So having that branch engagement means a lot for them, right from the application process through having the loan, as well as servicing them post they having a loan, making sure they can pay on time, helping them with their payments, helping them when they need other loans, linking loans together. So all that requires a human touch, which uh, One Main does a great job of. The interesting thing, though, is we started venturing into our digital channel and then the pandemic hit. And because of the pandemic, we actually accelerated in terms of how we engage with our customers virtually. So we have developed some features where you still have the branch context, which is kind of unique amongst the digital lenders in the space because you have the branch context. We talk to the customers over the phone now and we can actually do a remote close as well as co-browse with them when they do the loan close. So we can actually walk through with them where they see the loan documents, we can co-browse with them. And we also have uh, ability to do like two-way video chatting. So they can actually engage with us and still have that virtual stickiness, right? So that's a extension of our branch model while not being fully digital. Uh, separately, we have uh, piloted some of our digital um, ways of closing a loan where they could be unassisted and the customer could close the loan completely by themselves. And um, the goal really for one main is to expand that digital channel, get more into a multi or omni-channel perspective where we can kind of handle customers the way they want to be treated. And whenever they off-ramp due to not being able to close the loan, not understanding what that loan means, or they have some clarifications, or they are not able to upload documents like income documents or employment documents, and we cannot acquire them kind of automatically, right? They off-ramp and then the branch can talk to them and help them close the loan. So um, that's kind of where we are now in our journey. I know when we spoke a while back, it may have even been pre-COVID. And one of the, I think one of the things that you talked about was uh, the one main legacy and, and staying true to that very customer-centric approach, uh, but then shifts that are, are being made. And, and just in the context of what you just said, mindsets shifting, uh, the way that work is done shifting, how much you mentioned the omni-channel is actually creating an acceleration. Why do you think that acceleration, I mean, outside of the obvious necessity, right? There are organizations that are not accelerating. What do you think is some of the critical elements that's making it possible for you to accelerate in this time where it's critical to accelerate? There are two or three key factors. Most of our competition has been digital lenders. And given the pandemic now, the digital lenders are finding it hard to get cash. So even if they provide loans, they're not able to compensate that with their own liquidity, right? So that's a predominant thing. The second thing that's happening 
within one main we have actually started doing a modernization of our platform because being an old company we have a lot of legacy uh, with us our key engine is 50 years old and that's what drives the business and our user interface is from the early 90s so it's about 25 30 years old so what we're doing now is using this opportunity and then accelerating through the pandemic where we are breaking down what are the monolith if i call it in the old world into simplified services that can be used cross channel and therefore when the customer on ramps or off ramps right we can treat them the same way we have the context of where they off ramp so the branch can pick it up serve them and once they are done they can come back digital close out the loan or do anything else that's one piece the second piece really is it gives us an actually to expand our product base so uh, with digital we are able to create an ecosystem where we can actually take on other people's business or expand into other products so that's another opportunity it gives us um curious nag if you could tell our listeners maybe you know what's the most important thing you've learned or maybe even the biggest mistake you've made over the last 18 months i think uh mistakes are many actually right so as we go through this journey there are a lot of assumptions made and uh if i just talk through it from a technology standpoint the code base itself is extremely complex we don't have that many people who understand how that code has been built and because it's served us really well we don't have anything actually documented we have a few people who think they know how it works so as we are going through this journey and we are breaking it up into pieces we are finding dependencies that we have missed and when we do that it has impacts on the other end, right like our reporting gets messed up or we send the wrong information to our customers um we make those mistakes and then we have to quickly kind of get, reach back to our customers and say hey this is where we made a mistake right so that's one aspect the learnings is also kind of related saying that yes we have to do it because if we wait longer then it's going to be harder for us to actually break it apart and create that simplification so that's from a technical standpoint from a business standpoint being a primarily branch based model as we are migrating into the newer channel we have to make sure that our branch team members don't feel like they're not valuable so how do we make them kind of part of that journey and we are actually using them in our customer journey mapping in terms of the business process revamp saying that hey this is what it means for you this new world you still have a role to play and it's going to be more rich right in terms of context so you have information to start off with now you know they are a present customer or a former customer and you can deal with them this way a new customer who you might deal with in a different way and with our central also because of the technology we are able to kind of take the overload or the extra hour needs from the branch team members so if the branch team members go home and if someone needs help the central can actually take care of it so uh, those are some of the learnings we have figured out by doing what we are doing a very interesting point around uh you know how do you make sure that you keep that you know legacy delivery model turn it you know because i i think it would be easy to almost ignore them or treat them it makes me think of that uh whole arc the office where they created uh the website so yep. had to like submit the orders so that it would be right anyway so funny episodes but you know it is it, it isn't that far for far removed from what a lot of people's digital transformation is is uh, a sacrifice of of 
the actual human element for the exactly exactly and that's exactly how we are talking through that patrick we are saying where we call it digital right where you have the physical presence in the digital world and the digital presence in the physical world and they actually have to kind of coexist um the issue also is right as they tend to coexist there is an appetite now to go faster and people see these things working the others around right in the company they say yeah now we can go much faster but it is hard to go fast because everything has to kind of be broken apart without disrupting the business processes that lie underneath right um so that's the other thing we are dealing with in terms of the pace uh, which again speaks to mistakes we make and the branch team members or the central team members having to kind of cope with those because they have to make manual corrections then oh, yeah my wife is a big fan of saying you know slow is smooth and smooth is fast i think that's especially when you're going through difficult times like this where it's uh yeah you got a great opportunity to to take yep. advantage and and move forward but it's it's to your point uh did you call it digital what was the digital yeah digital physical uh, physical uh, and digital right so if you're going through a digital transformation which we will definitely make sure you get copyrights on <laughs> we are fidgeting with the systems too right so yeah, you know there's at first i thought it was frigidal i'm like no no it's not fragile <laughs> we need to rework that one a little reaction on that one uh, <laughs> No it's it's great and I think it it really is a great point of uh you know moving fast is great but also making sure that uh, yep. the customer and your own resources because I, I you know in your in your introduction clearly there's a lot of background in making sure that there's collaboration and seems exactly. like something that and it kind of pivots to another I think that you have very unique experience of having worked in in it was 11 cities in three tenants and I'd love to get your very global perspective around, you know, some of the learnings about different cultures, about circumstances, and specifically in the context of like as we're going through this global pandemic. What are what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned having had that kind of diverse, you know, experience? No, it's it's very valid, right? And I'll talk about different journeys um in terms of working globally it was very interesting when i went to the nordics in uh, uh, like towards the end of 2015 uh, i had my first status meeting and they were only talking about stuff that does not work it was very opposite of what was happening in the us where people kept talking about everything they did well so i actually got confused and i like i asked like why are people talking about stuff that does not work and then suddenly they told me Hey Nag, because that's our job to make things work. So why should we talk about what is working? We are telling you where we have to get better, right? So that was a great way of thinking. The second thing that I learned was in the US, right? When we have a conversation, we would say, "Hey Patrick, you got it, right? Nag, you got it," and it is assumed that you're going to take it forward. So again, in the Nordics, when I did that, I found out was I was only talking to myself. they really needed that documented saying patrick has this next action and that's all you have to do you don't have to do micro management you just have to say he has the next action and document it and then they'll come back to you so that was another interesting thing uh i would say the third interesting thing just comparing nordics to the us and then i'll compare that to lithuania and india too because that's the other two countries i worked in 
in the US, right, when you do your status reporting, you try to show how hard that work was and that is how you achieved what you did. In the Nordics, if you ask uh, for a status report, they first of all don't like that because it means you're questioning whether they're doing their job. So that was a really interesting thing for me to learn. And the second thing that I learned was when they provided status, they were very clear about what is next, not what they have done so far. So that was another big uh, distinction I saw. And then I thought, okay, I got the Nordics, it's all clear. Then when I worked with Norway, Sweden, outside of Denmark, it's so different again. Uh, and one interesting thing I'll tell you, like in Denmark, my colleagues used to tell me the most extroverted Finn would look at the other person's shoes. And I was like, what does that mean? Then when I was in the meetings with Finland, I learned they would never talk in the meeting. And you'll, it, it used to be very weird for me coming from the US again. And then they would come back later and say, this is what we're going to do. So they had their own internal meeting after the meeting we are going to do versus participating in that meeting. So when we did like work prioritization, it was very hard to know like what the Finns really needed as an example. So a uh, lot of nuances that way. And then Lithuania is very different because they kind of broke away from the Soviet Union. When I went there, I was God because of hierarchy. So that was kind of really weird for me too, right? Uh, and um, the Lithuanians are really good, very good software engineers. They are, I would say, really uh, efficient, effective in terms of the use. And India was even more strange for me uh, because I've worked uh, very little in India, but I worked with India from the US and then from Europe, right? What I found was, and I actually told them this in the town hall, I said, when I worked with you from the US, you guys did so much more work than when I started working with you from Europe. So the Indian guys actually adjusted to how little work needed to be performed based on who they were working with. And that was also very strange because, and that was our own captive. So it was not like a third party provider, right? Um, so those are some of the nuances, I would say, uh, what I've learned. Personally, for me, the pandemic has given me a lot of insight too. Me personally, I'm an introvert. And uh, I've always been given feedback working in the US, right? Saying, now you don't like to shake hands. You don't like to hug people. You don't like partying. You don't like crowds. And I had been thinking about how I should change. So when I went to the Nordics, I could be my own introvert self. It was not a big deal. And then when I came back now to the US, I was trying to readjust. But now the whole world has changed to no shaking hands, no partying, nothing. Right. So it's it's kind of a weird thing that I'm going through personally too. So Nag, yeah. I was gonna say, um, those are great examples, by the way. What would be your advice or recommendation to a technology leader who is entering into a new cultural environment if they haven't gone through that experience before? What what should they look out for? How can they best learn and navigate that? I think key things that I learned in my journey is I had to seek inputs from my peers. I could not judge based on where I went. So as an example, when I was saying, I said, you got it, you got it, and then nothing happened. I was I thought I was failing, right? But I talked to my Swedish Swedish peer said, Nag, in the Nordics, P 
people assume they know what they're doing. So when you say you got it, you got it, it doesn't register. So you really have to say what is it you need from them. And when you write that down, they actually behave in a different way. So I said, oh, that's not how it works in the US, because if I did that in the US, people might think I was micromanaging. I'm telling them to do specific things and I'm putting that on paper. So I think one big learning for me really is that uh, I, I came up with this acronym and that has really helped me in my journey. I call it happy leader, right? So for me, H is being humble, A is being action oriented, P is being personable, P is being passionate and Y is being yourself. And leader for me is because of the cultures I worked in, I say L is listen, E is engage, A is acknowledge, D is develop actions, E is enable and empower, and R is kind of reward and recognize. And using that kind of, if I call it framework, uh, it has actually helped me adapt to the different cultures I worked in. And honestly, when I come back here, it was a big learning for me because I had to unlearn what I got used to in the Nordics and relearn in different cultures, right? Because New York is very different from Chicago, is very different from Evansville, Indiana. Evansville, Indiana reminds me a lot of the Nordics. And because of the Midwestern setup and how people kind of interact, there's a family orientation, all that, right? It's very different. New York is extremely business-minded. I have to be first. I'm the best. I have to win, right? So it was, again, a relearning for me. And this framework actually has helped me. It's interesting. And just for context for everybody, uh, Evansville wasn't just an accent to pick out when Maine's corporate infrastructure is in Evansville, Indiana. Yep. You, you know, before uh, the lockdown happened, and for those of us who tend towards the introvert who are kind of enjoying the separation from other people, and I'm, I'm with you. Now you used to travel to three different cities every week that being New York, Chicago, and Evansville. So must be really enjoying time at home. Yeah, I don't know if you guys, like last year, uh, I had just come back to the US and I did 105 flights just in that one year uh, because I had to, to your point, right? I had to learn and because of being an introvert, I really had to be with the people to learn stuff because otherwise I wouldn't naturally interact with them. So uh, spending time in New York and Evansville every week, the plane delays, all that stuff, right, all over the place. Uh, but that's what I learned. And this year is kind of weird in two ways for me, Patrick. Uh, introvert, yes, that separation is helpful, but I'm missing kind of walking around and talking to people because that's what I had learned as a way to overcome being an introvert, right? And so I do get feedback now from my leaders. We don't hear your voice enough in meetings. And it's hard for me to insert my voice because that's not who I am. So I kind of like to go one-on-one, -on -one, talk to people and kind of do stuff. So when I'm in corporate meetings, my voice is usually not there. So uh, that's another thing I'm kind of working on, right? I always say I'm under construction, right? So that's another <laughs> aspect of my uh, building the road, I would say. Uh Comedian Bill Burr refers to it that, uh, you know, in, refer in reference to his relationship with his wife, he's like, yeah, we're always working on me. <laughs> kind of how I feel sometimes. It's like, yep. we're always working on me, right? So, uh, but it's a good, it, it is actually the truth, right? We should all be works yep. in progress anyways. 
one of the, the concept of uh, speaking more in meetings, I think uh, one of the key things that I, I focus on as uh, a leader of, of an organization is, you know, there's times for me to talk, right? And like setting the vision, identifying obstacles, really setting the tone and, and creating culture. But like when it gets into the, like the day-to-day weekly meetings, one of my strategies is to talk the least. You know, if I'm the first one talking, the way I, I do my math is then I'm losing, right? So I've clearly not done a good job setting expectations and, and the vision. Exactly. Then you don't get to hear from the others. If you talk first, you kind of set the tone and then people try to adjust to that tone and right. it becomes harder. Yeah. It, it, so is that one? So as you're you're going through that transformation, and and so what are some of the things that you know from a strategy that you're looking at? I think you know most of our uh, the folks that we know who have a technical background generally have, you know, they're not the most extroverted people in the world, right? That's not really why they got into it, uh, engineering, right? That kind of thing. What is, what's your strategy right now to to create that culture, that awareness, uh, share your vision? keep people motivated because I think we're all going through our own little personal version of Groundhog's yep. Day a little bit. Yep. yep. Like, uh, so what, what are some of the things that you're doing? Yeah. So one thing I have learned is uh, seeking help, right? Finding people who are kind of opposite of you, who can help you fill the gaps that you might have. And uh, that's actually started to work really well. So even within our leadership team, we've got different kinds of personalities. So really getting the best out of those different kinds of personalities to make decisions. Sometimes we do swing the pendulum too much to an extreme because the ones who are loud and supposedly passionate kind of take up the space, right? So we are trying to kind of neutralize that by asking questions in a different way. The other thing we are also doing is having more touch bases during the pandemic. So that has also kind of helped us just kind of evaluate where we are going, what do we have to adjust as leaders, not just from a technology standpoint, but as leaders, right? So we ask questions to one another, like what do you get irritated by most? Uh, why do you react this way? And then we start getting, and we do it in an informal format so people actually tell you more. So that's uh, that's one thing we have done. Uh, personally for me, what I have started doing is I've actually got a coach now who's helping me kind of um, I can't say get out of being a total introvert, but realizing what it means, right, as other people perceive you. I've got some good inputs on that, which I'm learning, I would say. One of the key things I will say is a simple example. I took it for granted. Uh, One of my business partners, actually in Denmark, said, Nag, why do you let your team member disrespect you? And I was thinking about it like, I didn't feel that way. But after he said that to me, I was like, yeah, I actually allow people to say what they want to me. Right. But I did not know what that actually meant. But with the coach now, she said, every human needs to set boundaries. Right. What is acceptable versus not acceptable. And even if you're an introvert, you can clearly state that these things are not acceptable or I do not like what you said. Or can you say it in a different way? And that. Just that mental frame now has helped me become, I would say, in a sense, more brave, right? If I call it that, or gain more confidence on touchy topics. So those are some of the things I'm doing as self-development. But as a team, I would say main thing is having different perspectives, talking to one another. If there is a void, then making sure somebody is there to kind of add that voice. 
uh, we did a hackathon now, totally virtually. And that was actually awesome, right? Because we did not do it just with technology, but we got people from the other areas to participate with us. And many people actually remarked that this was one of their best days in the last X months, right? With the pandemic. They actually felt they could do something together and produce something exciting. So those are some of the ways I'm kind of conquering my gaps, I would say, by doing these kinds of uh, events. That's really awesome. So the hackathon, it involved agents and the business folks as well, not just the developers. Exactly. I think that's a hackathon I can get behind. I think a lot of these hackathons turn into like just nerd, <laughs> you know, where it's like, oh, let's it's just for the lunch. And <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, we're going to out tech your tech. And it's like, why don't we? I think that's fantastic. I think anything you can do to tear down that wall. Do you have the engineering teams actually go to the to the the agent facilities to the offices and see how you know the the fruits of their labor are are being leveraged? Yeah, yeah. So pre pandemic, that was a little easier to do, right? We would do visits to the branches, visit to the contact centers. Uh, what we are doing now is actually very interesting. We are setting up call listening sessions. Uh, where we take the capabilities we have deployed and we actually listen to the engagement between the um, one main team member and the customer, right? How did the capability we deploy actually translate for both of them? And through that call, we're able to figure out, right? Yeah, if we had done a little differently, then it would have been easier for the customer or for the employee, right? Maybe we are not providing all the context they needed to have the conversation. Right, so things like that. So that's really been helpful. And I would say the pandemic has actually made it easier now because we can get more people on these virtual sessions. And we are able to listen to a little more of the call recordings from different aspects. Because sometimes you go to the branch and you're waiting and waiting and what you want doesn't happen. So I, I think uh, it's a very interesting circumstance of, and you know, I think it kind of brings everything full circle of like understanding that diversity of experience that you have of being able to understand and empathize with where others are and their modalities of how they work. Obviously, very pronounced when you're dealing in post-Soviet Lithuania versus Evansville, Indiana, or <laughs> you know. But it, I think it does. It, it's 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 a very unique uh, experience yeah. that you have. You're, you're doing a fantastic job of really having everybody embrace that that change. So I think I'll, we'll wrap there. I really wanted to say thank you so much uh, for coming on today, Nag. Really appreciate your your participation and sharing your very interesting story. And at, at a bare minimum, we all can take back the concept of a fidgetal transformation, <laughs> worst case scenario. <laughs> so thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you, Nag. Thank you, and uh, let me know how I can some more but uh thanks a lot awesome uh we also want to thank our listeners we really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today and if you'd like to receive new episodes as they are published you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast or find us on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts this episode was sponsored by dragon spears and produced by dante 32 